www.tgirl.com. You just click on the links there, the pictures. They're actually links uh, to videos. They're free. Uh, they'll appear differently depending on whether you're on your traditional PC, like a laptop, or uh, or PC or laptop, or if you're on a mobile device. You'll get more videos if you check it out on a PC. Um, the videos will start playing automatically when you go to the page. Uh, you may have to enable the Adobe plugin, uh, but it's free, and the video will play. And if you're on a mobile device, you just click on the blue charms. They say mobile movie, and the videos will start to play that way. So you can check out that side of me and my friends, the sexual side of me, the naked side of me. And you can get a subscription there. You can make a donation. You can just check out the free stuff. All of the above are very much appreciated. Thank you. Uh, and if you're curious about Naked Truth, uh, you can see the page there and see some of the past um, readings I've done there. And um, the Living Water Chapel page, you can get an idea of what goes on here also. And it's basically just covering the spiritual side of me. On the site, you can get the sexual side of me and the spiritual side here. We focus only on the spiritual side. Um, although... They interlace sometimes. They intersect sometimes. So anyway, that's what we do here. We focus on the Gospels of Jesus Christ and the red letters specifically, since those are quotes um, directly attributed to Jesus Christ. Um, since saying, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, Jesus should get the last word on any given subject, particularly if he covered the subject while he was here. And he covered pretty much... Every subject God would have us know that pertains to our salvation. So anything else is superfluous and you may want to cut it away. So anyway, we're going to pick up where we left off. And speaking of superfluous, that means it's not needed. You can check out this, um, what we left off in chapter 10 of Matthew. And just a quick example of how uh, gospels even can get twisted and changed by people preaching them. Um, but not actually preaching. I'm just preaching whatever it is they want you to believe. But you can see here, it starts out in chapter 10. This is what we went over last time. Um, how the 12 apostles were sent out. And here it says right here, verse 5, These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Then so and so and such and such. And this is the different commands he gave to the apostles specifically. Letting them know they could cast out demons, they could cure sicknesses. He also let them know this part, that um, they would be persecuted. And that a time would come when, when they, specifically, verse 19, but when they will deliver you up, do not worry about or how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. Now many preachers nowadays will twist this and say this is meant for us because at some point we're going to be delivered up to uh, synagogues of Satan and have to give a testimony and all of this. Specifically it says it was directed to them, the disciples and that's what would happen to them and that's what happened to them in history. History proves that part but here you can see this is all the commandments that he gave to the disciples letting them know things like Christianity, his teachings, the gospel would bring division um, even in households dividing two against three, three against two. Here's an example of when of how Preachers can change things. For instance, they'll tell you that uh, when they when the lineage of Jesus is given in the in the different gospels, it'll say in one of them it'll say Joseph, Jesus's earthly father, if you want to think of him that way, was as was supposed the father-in-law uh, was as was supposed the father of Jesus. And some preachers will tell you that as was supposed means that it means he was 
the in-law, and that's his actual genealogy. But you see here very clearly, they had no problem, Jesus, even the word, using the words in-law and using that phrase to specify if that's what he's talking about. So again, you can let people, preachers, lie to you and fool you if you want to, or you can take the time to figure out what the truth actually is, because many times what Jesus taught is very different than what churches in particular will teach you, but also what families and what your own ideas of what right and wrong according to Christ would actually be. But just to show you that this is specifically commands he gave to the apostles, the disciples, to let them know that these were things that was going to happen, to, that were going to happen to them, and they did. As I've said before, uh, 10 of the 12 were martyred, killed for their testimony to Jesus Christ. One killed himself, and uh, one survived it all. John, the writer of that gospel, or at least the the one who that gospel attributed to um but so just so you know these are the the commands given to them to them specifically before they're sent out and so that you know it was given to them specifically it may be tricky for you since it's a whole different chapter but it's the very next chapter from chapter 10 to chapter 11 you can we're going to pick it up there to see what happens after he gave them the disciples those commands now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. So that lets us know very specifically all of that was directed toward the disciples to let them know that they would have power to do things like performing exorcisms and healings of people. And in some cases they didn't even, even though they had the authority, they didn't exercise it uh, enough because they weren't able to carry them out sometimes. So don't let preachers just tell you that we have those powers too, those, that authority too. It doesn't say that. It says that the those authorities were given to the apostles. So I say that to say that it should be a comfort to us if we're still trying to believe and build our faith with all the doubts all around in the world that don't let it bother you if we're not able to exercise some of those same abilities because they weren't given to us. They were given to them. We can hope and pray and and look for those things as we're told to uh, as believers, but as far as saying, oh, it says it right there, we have the ability, it doesn't say we have that authority at all. Just so you know. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent to his disciples and said to them, are you the coming one or do we look for another? So you notice there where it says the coming one. It's talking, it's, it's capitalized. So it lets us know it's specifically talking about someone uh, a person in particular and it's talking since it's capitalized about God and it's referring to an Old Testament prophecy the ones that said that a Messiah the Christ would come so that specifically is what they're asking him very clearly is he that one who is prophesied of and some teachers some preachers will try to even twist this and say that they're asking is this the first advent or the second one what sense would it even make to ask if there was a second advent if the suffering that was called for in the first one hadn't been hadn't happened yet so again you can let preachers lie to you and fool you if you like being lied to a lot of people do a lot of people live a life that's a lie so then when people lie to them from the pulpit they readily accept it but you can see it right there that that's what it's talking about they're asking him is he the messiah basically or is he the christ that was prophesied not is this the first or the second advent jesus answered and said to them go and tell john the things which you hear and see so jesus answers them the way he answers a lot of people uh when they sort of confront him but in this case he's um letting them 
telling them, well, we'll see what he tells them. He's telling them to go tell, he say, he's saying the answer to your question is right in front of you. Just open your eyes, look and see, and tell them the things that you hear and see. So not just the um, miracles that he's going to, that he's, they're witnessing around Jesus, but also the preachings of what Jesus actually has to say. The blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So Jesus is letting them know these are the things that you're going to hear and see if you look around. That there are healings, there's miracles, but not just that. The deaf are able to hear, but he's also saying well, they're able to hear the gospel that he's preaching to them. So he's letting them know that if you're looking for any more than that, it's if you're looking for those signs that are supposed to happen, that the Messiah was to do. He's like, look around, those are happening right now. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So Jesus is saying, um, if you're able to accept the things Jesus has to say, then God bless you for it. Um, and, and if you don't fall away, if you're not offended by the fact that he's saying that he's not claiming it, he's not, it's not so like someone saying, oh, I'm the best this or I'm the best that and bragging on themselves. Jesus is doing just the opposite. Instead of claiming to be the Son of God or claiming to be the Messiah or the Anointed One, he's saying, look around and see for yourself and let that be the witness. And he, and he tells them that in another place that there are uh, different witnesses to the fact that he is who he is without him having to claim his divinity uh, in as many words. Um, so he's letting them know if you're able to accept that and then God bless you for it. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. So a reed is basically, if you want to think of it like a straw or a bamboo stalk like that, it's hollow and it's um, tall and it's, you can use, they make instruments out of it in some cases, but it's basically empty and it can carry wind through it. So that lets you kind of know what Jesus is saying. He's like, did you go out to John to go hear a windbag? Basically to hear somebody just blowing hot air. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. So he's saying, so, okay, so if, did you go out to hear a windbag? He's like, okay, if that's not what you went out to see, well, did you go out to see someone uh, royal and highfalutin who's living large? Is that what you went out to see? But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. So he's saying, okay, so if you didn't actually go out there to just see a windbag or hear a windbag or to go see someone living large, uh, but if you actually went out there to see a prophet in the sense of someone who's able to give you spiritual guidance, he's like, then that's what you went to see and that's what you saw. And he's saying that he's affirming that John actually is the prophet and um, is the prophet, in fact, is the one that's... Um, specifically prophesied to come before the Messiah comes in the Old Testament. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. So, um, let me see if I can find it in my Bible. Because uh, usually when Jesus does that, it's coming from a specific scripture. and It looks like it's coming from Malachi uh, chapter 3 verse 1. Um, I guess we could go there real quick and see. So we can get an idea of what this is that Jesus is talking about. Let's see. 
Jesus said that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of this specific scripture. And oh, look, Malachi is only, oh, it says, okay, Malachi is only three chapters long. Um, okay. And so if you, if you're curious about how prophecy works, you can, this is an example of Jesus pointing out a specific prophecy that has been fulfilled. And in this case, he's saying that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of this passage from the Old Testament. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. So um, that's what Jesus is quoting here in Matthew. Behold, I send my messenger before your face will prepare the way before you. But you see how it says it's you instead of here where it says me. But that's basically letting us know that this prophecy, at least according to Malachi, is from God and that it's God who intends to visit um, the temple at, at some point in the future of when Malachi wrote this. And Malachi, by the way, is the very last book in the uh, Old Testament before, at least in the King James Version, before you get to um, Matthew, which we're in now the gospel so if you think about that in a timeline sense it was basically the end of that chapter in this the history of what's happening in the bible and the beginning of another um malachi and then matthew are so let's see so that's what jesus is pointing to there um that this is the fulfillment of that prophecy and that this specifically of this person was supposed to come and prepare the way before God's coming. And Jesus is letting us know that's what John the Baptist was. That's the purpose he served. That's why Jesus, that's what Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament here. And he's quoting that because as um, Israelites, it's a scripture they probably were familiar with from visiting uh, the temple throughout the different holy days of the year. Um it's thunder it's about the storm it sounds like um so jesus is saying here that yeah that's who john the baptist is surely i say to you among those born of women there has not risen one greater than john the baptist but he was least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he so that's a huge statement to let us know there as big a role as john the baptist is playing in the history of things as far as even being prophesied of in the old testament as we just saw in malachi which is significant because if you're trying to build your faith, how would someone know that something like that was going to happen before it happened if it wasn't revealed to them somehow? So, um, I mean, there's no, how else could it happen unless it's some sort of extra divine sort of thing that's going on where someone has that ability. So anyway, that's what Jesus is saying here. And he's saying that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that role, but he's also saying that he was least in the kingdom of God is greater than even John the Baptist. So no matter how highly you want to think of John the Baptist, even he is going to be less than the person who's least in the kingdom of God. So that lets us know humility is huge in God's eyes. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. So what Jesus is saying here is apparently already i think we did read about it where john the baptist has already been um arrested and maybe even he's already been crucified let me see i think we did get to that point already in mark 
But I think that's what Jesus is referring to here. And But even besides John the Baptist, all the Old Testament prophets, many of them met very bad ends because the people just didn't want to hear what was being preached to them. The same thing now. People will hear a message that's smooth to the ear or makes them feel good, but they don't necessarily want to hear what's true because the truth isn't always popular and the truth makes you consider your ways, which is what it's meant to do. Um, so that you actually hunt out and seek the truth and aren't just deceived by whatever. Um, that's the whole point of the truth. Um, so anyway, from the days of John the Baptist until now, it suffers violence for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So Jesus is saying here also that all the law and the prophets that um, were meant to prophesy and tell us the story were up until John the Baptist. So uh, that kind of that doesn't mean people now can't prophesy because if you read Revelation, it says the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. So if there's a prophecy to give, it seems like it have to be coming from what Jesus has to say because like, clearly right here, Jesus says all the law and the prophets and the law would be the Ten Commandments basically and he said and the prophets so everything we needed to know as far as that goes the law and the prophets were up until John the Baptist and this is the part this next verse this is the reason I named this um, message this lesson reincarnation because you may not want to accept it again but it's what Jesus said and if you're willing to receive it he is Elijah who is to come so he's letting us know there if you're willing to receive it, if you're not going to reject it, if you're not going to be, as he said earlier, if you're not offended by his teaching, he's letting you know if you're willing to receive his teaching, it, if you're willing to receive it. He didn't say him because we already know because he said just now that the violent take it by force. So that lets us know John the Baptist has already at least been arrested and most likely already been beheaded. Um, which is what fate he meets in the Gospels. So it lets us know he's not talking about um, if you're willing to receive John the Baptist. John the Baptist was received. They He baptized many people. We just read about it, how um, his followers came to him and were asking him, uh, is he the coming one? So it lets us know that it's not just... Um, it's not just... Um, it's, not, it's not saying if you're willing to receive... John the Baptist, it's if you're willing to receive the message that Jesus is saying, the lesson that he's trying to show you, the drop that he's letting us know, that he is Elijah who is to come. And again, if you don't know who Elijah is, it's an Old Testament prophet. Oh man, if I could think of which book he's in, I could read it to you real quick. Uh, quick. It's, I'm pretty sure it's First Kings. But if you don't know about Elijah and you believe in UFOs or if you don't believe in UFOs and you don't know about Elijah, whatever the case may be, it's a good example of another good example in the Bible of a UFO. The very first one that comes to mind is in Ezekiel chapter 1 where a, an un, an, a flying object vehicle is seen and described and that's in the Bible. And the other one is, I'm pretty sure it's First Kings where it talks about Elijah and what happens with him. And I may not be able to find it right now. But what happens with him is he, um, according to the Old Testament, is carried away in a fiery chariot uh, with witnesses. So again, another example of some sort of identified flying vehicle. Um, and this is before airplanes. So it lets you know it's something that people witnessed 
But anyway, that's the Elijah that Jesus is pointing to here. And even more significantly, he's saying that he is that Elijah who is to come. So Elijah didn't pass away in the Old Testament. His death isn't mentioned, isn't written. And a lot of people's deaths aren't written. But specifically, his departure is written. That he's carried away in that chariot. And it's never mentioned how he dies, if he comes back, or what happens to him until now. And Jesus is saying that John the Baptist is that Elijah who is to come. So he's saying a couple of things. One, he's saying that that's the fulfillment of that prophecy that Elijah was going to come again before the great and terrible day of the Lord. I think that's in Malachi again, the last book of the Old Testament. Um, and then here also, the second thing is that whether you want to accept it or not, reincarnation in some sense exists. It happens for at least some people. And Elijah is one example of it. If he's, Jesus is saying very clearly here, he is that Elijah who is to come. So letting us know that John the Baptist and Elijah are the same spirit, it would have to be. He says, he says in another place, he's in the spirit and power of Elijah. So somehow they're the same, whether you want to accept it or not. Jeez, that's what Jesus is saying here. Um, so that lets us know reincarnation rather than um, is part of God's big plan, which might also signify the acceptance of different people from different places and religions into the kingdom since, again, I've said it before, I think God has a big picture and we're all a part of it. And, um, you know, whether we're all in the same faith or not, we play a role in the script of what it is that God would have happen. And our role, it seems, with our free will, is to take it this way or to take it that way. And that's what many... Um, even astrophysicists, like I've said before, believe that in just noticing something, you change the projection of your path in the universe and even create new paths in the universe for you to travel on, even at the same time in a different place. So it's, again, it takes faith to believe either one. And the, the, this one, the witnesses for this faith anyway, um, Jesus is saying that reincarnation clearly is a real thing and it... Um, Happened to at least one person, Elijah and John the Baptist. Um, so, let's see. Um, so, um, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he says that with an exclamation point, meaning, emphasis, meaning, he means exactly what he says. And if you're able to accept it, like he says, then accept it. If you're able to hear it, hear it. But, you know, like he said, everyone's not going to be willing to receive it. But if you are then receive it. But so what shall I like in this generation? It is like children sitting in a marketplace and calling to their companions. So he's saying, what are these people like? Well, the people who are surrounding him. He's like, they're like children. Excuse me. And saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. So he's saying they're like little kids that won't be satisfied no matter what you do for them. You can play a song for them and they won't dance. You can be down and sad. They won't be sorry. He's like, it won't, no matter what you do, you're not going to win. And that's what that generation, that's what people are like. It's like, no matter what you do, you're not going to win. Whether they're people back then witnessing the miracles and seeing Jesus preach and teach and walk with them live and still didn't believe or people now who can read about it like reading a newspaper or an article on the internet or anything else and believe that but can't read the witnesses that these people gave 
and believe it. He's like, either way, the people who are right there to see it and can dance with them, they're not satisfied. And the people who aren't there, us, who aren't able to witness it, aren't satisfied either. So it's like, you can't win. I think that's what Jesus is saying by that. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. So he's like, so John came in that sense trying to hold strictly to all the things they expect a holy person to be fasting and praying and living out in the wilderness instead of living high on the hog like many televangelists do but being very humble in his existence he's saying john came that way and you think he has a demon the son of man came eating and drinking they say look a glutton and a wine bibber so when he says the son of man he's referring to himself in the third person but in in the sense of referring to um did I finish reading that one? A friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. So I didn't finish reading that one. Sorry. Son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. So we'll take that bit by bit. So he's saying first, John the Baptist came trying to stick to all your religious dogma and rules. And you say he has a demon. And he was just fulfilling the role that you were supposed to be looking forward to him fulfilling as Elijah, who's to come before the king, basically, is what he's saying about John. And they rejected him and said he has a demon. He says the son of man, Jesus, has come. The one they prophesied of who John was supposed to come before, his opening act. He's saying now he's come, the son of man has come, eating freely, drinking freely, taking part in society with the people. And instead of recognizing that, they say he's just a greedy pig and a wine bibber because he's eating with the people and drinking with the people and saying he's just a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So they reject him then. So one came trying to be extra holy, they rejected him. One tried, came trying to be common and reached them and they rejected him. And he's saying, well, wisdom is justified by her children. So that means... If that was a smart thing to do, then that it'll work out and prove to be a wise action. And if it wasn't, that's what's going to work out also. And I've just said this before when um, the whole impeachment trial was going on, how wisdom is justified by our children. If it was wise of the Democrats to bring a impeachment trial then when they knew the Senate was just going to reject it and they didn't have a majority and couldn't get a conviction, it will, would it be wise of them to even brought it in the first place? They only brought the minor charges knowing what happened and they were waiting for the election in November, the Senate to flip, the House to maintain if people get out and vote that way um, and for the presidency to flip or even if it stays the same, then the heavier charges could be brought where um, they could actually stick with a fairer Senate and where at least the trial would include witnesses. So that's a case of wisdom being justified by our children. If it was wise for them to bring the charges, then knowing nothing would happen and getting it on out of the way, because knowing people would forget all about it, which they have, because with the coronavirus and everything else, all the other injustices coming to light and to the surface, uh, people don't even think about the impeachment, but it was less than six months ago. Um, uh, but that will show you if it was wise to do it then or not. If it was wise, then after the November elections, no matter who's in the presidency, if people have had enough of the nonsense of the Senate doing nothing but blocking or giving to the rich and the House doing everything they can but getting it rejected by the Senate, if people finally had enough and are ready for a true change of getting what it is they actually vote for, 
then um, it will be a wise decision because at that point, then those charges could be brought and um, the trial could go a completely different way. So we'll see. It's just a few more months. Whether that was a wise decision or a foolish decision on the part of the House to bring the charges then against him, knowing it would go nowhere, and it went nowhere. Or was it wise? We'll see. But that's an example of it, and that's what Jesus is saying. That um, He's saying they're going to reject them either way, no matter how you approach them, and that's how some people are. Um, myself, for instance, people reject me even reading this, and all I'm doing is reading it to you and telling you what it, how I understand it to be. But many people reject it just because I am who I am. So they'll reject the messenger, or, you know, in America, they don't mind shooting the messenger, God forbid. But, um... So it's the same thing. There's people who are, Jesus is saying, they're going to reject it no matter how you come at them, some people. So um, he's letting them know, don't be surprised. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. So again, he just told them how they'd be rejected and how people are, no matter how you come at them, they won't accept what you have to say. And he's letting them know now, this is his response to that rejection. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have been they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So Tyre and Sidon are seacoast villages there, are towns, they still exist um in the Holy Land, the Middle East, Israel, Palestine, whatever however you want to identify it, between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. They still exist there. Um, those areas and they've been around for thousands of years uh, you can read about them also in the Old Testament but Jesus is saying woe to them because they are not repentant they are not accepting him they are rejecting what's going on what's right before their eyes but I say to you it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than the judgment they have for you so he's letting them know um, as bad as those towns are those cities are for um for um, rejecting him, he's saying, Woe to Chorazin and Bethsaida, because he did do um, miracles and perform works in those towns, and the people still rejected him. Again, drawing the contrast between approaching them like John the Baptist, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, or, or here it is, playing the flute and them not dancing, or mourning to them and them not lamenting. No matter how you approach them, they're not pleased, they're not going for it, they're not believing it. They think it's fake news, no matter what, how you approach them with it. Just like people now. It's crazy. Um, so he's saying, but if, they, if um, those other towns had experienced the miracles that they experienced, if Tyre and Sidon had experienced the miracles and the teachings that Jesus presented to them, then they would have repented and would have done it in sackcloth and ashes. That's like a biblical way of showing humility, of showing that you're really down and out, you're really just throwing yourself before God and humbling yourself when you uh, put on sackcloth, which is basically that um, brown potato sack stuff. You don't see it very much now, um, so much plastic, but that's basically what sackcloth is. And ashes, they put ashes, throw ashes on their heads, uh, sort of like mourning to just let people know that they're down and out and they're miserable. Uh, in suffering. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the Day of Judgment than for you. So that um, Jesus is saying um, it will be more tolerable for those uh, two cities than for the ones who did witness his miracles 
and still rejected him. He said it'll be more tolerable for those ones who didn't get to see those miracles and, uh, than those who did and still rejected him. There'll be a different judgment. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. So Hades is an interesting word because we went over that last time. How it's, uh, it's a, it's a couple of things. It's one, it can be referred to a Greek uh, Roman god of the underworld, or um, uh, or in this case, it's referring. Uh, or I mean, it, he could be referring to that too, but that would sort of go against again the Old Testament that says you're not supposed to name any other gods not even say their names but Hades is the name of one of them if you're a fan of those um uh what are they the they slipped my mind if you're a fan of those movies Clash of the Titan movies then you know Hades is like the god of the underworld is what he's identified as um but I think what Jesus is saying here he's referring to it as hell uh, even though it's translated as Hades, but he's saying either way, it'll be more um, uh, the the pride is going to bring them down. The fact that they're unwilling to bend and recognize the truth when they see it, he's saying if they're willing to ignore the mighty works which he's done, uh, they're going to be paid for, and it's going to turn out that um, even Sodom, which we've gone over before in the Old Testament. Um, will be it'll be more tolerable for them because even they would have repented if they'd seen the miracles that um that Capernaum was able to witness with Jesus being there but I say to you this but I say to you that it would be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you so he's letting them know that even Sodom as wicked as those cities that city was had to be destroyed in the Old Testament if you're going to believe that account of it um is even going to find more grace uh, in Judgment Day than the cities that rejected Jesus even though they saw his miracles live and direct. At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you Father Lord of heaven and earth that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. So I think the thing to notice here is Jesus is talking directly to God and you notice um, um, in this instance and throughout the Gospels Jesus never and just like many um Many people in different religions don't believe it's uh, kosher to um, say God's name. So they don't say God's name. So you notice Jesus never says God's name. He doesn't call him Yahoo, Yahweh, Yahshua, Yahovah, Jehovah. He doesn't call him any of that. None of that. He calls God, God, or Lord, or Father. Those are like the three things that... He refers to God as and speaks to God as and talks about God as. So if you're getting caught up on those different names, just know Jesus, if you're a Christian, Jesus never called him any of those names, at least not in the gospel that we have. But um, that's the first thing to notice. But then he's saying uh, he's saying that he's praising God for the fact that these the truths that he's revealing are going to be re revealed to um people who don't hold themselves in the uh in um who aren't too high on themselves who aren't too proud or too um too proud to receive it instead it's going to be revealed to the humble um um 
babes, basically people open enough to receive it. Even so, Father, so for so it seemed good in your sight. So Jesus is saying, yeah, that's the way it is that um, these people who know it all are not accepting it. He's like, but the people who are more innocent with what they know, they are accepting it. And he's saying, and that's fine, Lord, because that's how you'd have it. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So he's letting them know that um, they may think that they're trying to be holy and pious and please God with the things that they're doing, with them rejecting, with them rejecting him and not accepting his message and constantly looking for fault. He's like, but in fact, they're showing that they don't actually know God at all. And he's saying, and if you want to know God, the way to get to know God is through Jesus, through the Son. And he says, and that's the only way. And even then, you're not going to get it unless God wills it, wills it for um, Jesus to be revealed to you. So he's come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. Oh, well, I skipped one. So Jesus is saying, come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying if you're tired of the nonsense, tired of searching for the truth and not finding it, tired of trying to juggle how you live with what someone else's idea of what is righteous and holy is. He's saying if you're tired of all that, come to him. He'll give you rest from all that. And he says specifically take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So he says if your soul is tired of searching for truth, if your soul is tired of trying to figure out what's the right thing to do, he points it out to you, makes it very clear in any situation uh, what um, is in in God's eyes the right thing to do or the righteous way to behave and the way to treat each other. And um, he's saying it's not something that's high and lofty that you're going to have to try and fight to try to get to, to survive to get to. He's saying it's the, it's the opposite. His message is gentle and lowly in heart. So it's easy to take upon you. It's easy to approach. It's easy to achieve. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he's letting us know his yoke as it is like if you think of a horse pulling a buggy or a cow pulling a wagon or something like that. They don't just tie the rope around the animal and have it pull it like that. It will cut off the circulation to the animal. It could do harm to the animal. And it's not the most efficient way to pull the load. Instead, they attach a yoke, uh, sort of bridle and bitten bridle, that sort of thing. But a yoke for pulling, like a tow truck, you can think of the dolly. They attach that to the animal first and then attach the load to that to attach to the animal. Then that way it's not pulling directly on the animal, it's pulling on the yoke. And so it's easier for the animal to carry the load and not have it tear into their skin or, you know, and it's just more efficient also to carry it that way. Um, but for the animal's sake, mostly. Um, so Jesus is saying similarly, if you're trying to carry the burdens of that life's throwing at you or that you're walking into or carry yourself into, is uh, cast those burdens on the wagon and take his yoke to help us carry it is i believe what he's saying the message is let christianity be what helps you deal with whatever burden it is you're dealing with in life and he's saying because his yoke is easy and his burden is light his message is short and sweet it's only in six books in the whole bible so if you're trying to get closer to god as a christian 
start with those six books. His message is easy and as a Christian, it's supposed to be our truth. So anyway, uh, that ends this reading. I hope it was a blessing for you, the one or two people that check it out. And I hope that you'll join me again. I'm going to end this one here as always, um, but pick up in just a moment with the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, where we left off there. And God willing, Wednesday, we have our John and Luke reading. And Saturday night after midnight, early Sunday morning, we have... We're going to pick up and I think just about finish the book of Revelation where we are there. In the meantime, take care of yourself, uh, love your neighbor, wash your hands, wear your mask, and be careful. Thanks again. Peace.